Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, Building and Implementing an FRAR Program for the Arc Flash Hazard, sponsored by Bulwark. My name is Barry Botino. I am an associate editor with Safety and Health Magazine, and I'll be moderating today's session. Thanks for joining us. In a few minutes, we'll start the presentation, but first, I'd like to go over some preliminary items. The views of today's speaker and organization are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean that the Council or the magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we will conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply type it in the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and click the button for Submit Question. Feel free to ask your question at any time during our presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of attendees today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speaker. For basic troubleshooting information, click the Help button located on your screen. At the end of the webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey. I will let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast is archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com events. With that, let's get started. Our speaker today is Derek Sang. Derek is the Technical Training Manager at Bulwark and a subject matter expert in the flame-resistant clothing industry. For more than 20 years, he has worked in a variety of roles in the service, manufacturing, and garment areas of the business. Derek has also developed more than 40 hours of training curriculum and conducted over 250 seminars on the hazards of arc flash and flash fire. Again, we thank all of you for tuning into this presentation today. Derek, whenever you're ready, take it away. Barry, thank you for that kind introduction and echoing what Barry just said. Yes, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. And for those live, we certainly appreciate it. So let's get going. Uh, first and foremost, let's get the attorneys out of the way. Uh, this presentation is for informational purposes only. Customers of Bulwark Protective Apparel are solely responsible for conducting their own hazard risk assessment to identify safety hazards in their work environment. Customers of Bulwark Protective Apparel are solely responsible for selecting appropriate garments and protective gear for their employees and ensuring wearers use the garments and protective gear properly and in conjunction with the appropriate gloves and footwear. Because working conditions and other factors may vary, Bulwark Protective Apparel does not make any representation that these garments and protective gear will protect wearers from injury. So on to the good stuff. So what we're going to talk today about is uh, select use, care, and maintenance of flame-resistant and arc-rated clothing for the, the arc flash hazard. So we receive lots of questions around this subject matter because, again, as we are introducing clothing into the PPE realm, how do we proper, make sure we got the right stuff, then when we've got it, how do we use it properly, and then when we're at using during use, how do we care for this stuff so we can maximize its wear life, and then can we maintain it along the way to extend it, and then finally, how do we retire this stuff? So that's what we're going to try and touch on over the next 45 minutes or so. 
So some quick definitions. You'll hear us say FRAR. FR is flame resistant. AR is arc rated. So we still use that together because a lot of our end users, even though they're in the arc flash hazard environment and we're talking about arc rated clothing, still intermix the term flame resistant. The easiest thing to remember is this. All arc rated clothing, first and foremost, has to be flame resistant. We apply additional testing so it can get an arc rating. So that's why I particularly say, and most of the marketplace says FR, AR, because FR first, arc rating becomes second. We are using arc rated garments in this hazard. What flame resistant means in general is that fabric will put itself out. It does not melt or drip or add to the injury. Arc rating is additional testing, meaning we put it into that environment. We see how much heat it will insulate you to. We see how much it can withstand so it can protect you when it receives an arc rating. That's your ATPV, your arc thermal performance value, and or an E sub BT, which is energy break open thresholds. Both of those will give you an arc rating, and that's additional testing above and beyond establishing flame resistancy. So building and implementing a FRAR program for the arc flash hazard. So why do we need flame resistant arc rated clothing? Because if it doesn't have those characteristics, all clothing has an ignition point, and that ignition point compared to an arc flash is relatively low. The resulting severe burn injuries ultimately is what leads to fatality. Arc flashes and our other hazard we talk about, flash fires, do not in and of themselves cause fatality. Even though they are pretty intense, we're dealing with lots amount of heat that can do a ton of damage, they're not long enough. An arc flash is literally fractions of a second. A six cycle, eight cycle arc flash is a tenth of a second, uh, just a little tad longer, and those are long arc flashes. Flash fires, typically less than three seconds in, in duration. So they are not long enough in and of themselves to ultimately cause a fatality. What causes fatality is the clothing I'm wearing catching fire and now extending the thermal event well beyond the initiator, which was the arc flash or flash fire. So the arc flash in and of itself does not last long enough to ultimately kill you. What does that is your clothing catching fire and continue to burn, thus continuing to injure you. And the worst thing we can have or sustain as human beings is catastrophic body burn. So that's what we're looking to eliminate. So what is this flame resistant clothing? It is nothing magical. It is engineering either at the molecular level where we take a molecular formula and we tweak it, we make a fiber out of it, AKA Nomex or Kevlar, or at the fiber level, we add fire retardant chemistry to the soup we extrude the fiber, and that fiber has flame-resistant engineering now in it, FR rayons, FR mode acrylics, or we take fabric, something that's already flammable, like a cotton, and we engineer FR properties into it by applying chemistry. 
any three of those engineerings, and in today's world, a combination of those engineerings will cause that fabric to put itself out. And by definition, that's what flame-resistant clothing is. It self-extinguishes. Notice that it's designed to limit, not eliminate, burn injury. You're going to be hurt. How badly? I have no idea. There are tons of variables that are going to play into that that I am not working on. I am working on your clothing not extending the thermal event, meaning that once the ignition source is gone, you are not on fire. But that directly correlates to will you survive, how hurt are you going to be, what's your recovery time is going to be, quality of life issues, because there's a huge difference between 15% body burn and 60% body burn. The biggest thing when we're training and when our teams are out there in the field at our end users, whether it's our utilities, our manufacturing industries for 70E, our casinos, our hospitality areas for 70E, our hospitals, our medical facilities for 70E, the biggest thing that we need to get people to understand is this is secondary protective clothing. So if I can have a secondary, what is primary? The easiest example I can give you is think of firefighters. Flashing red lights, big red truck, I roll up to a structural fire. More than likely, I've already donned the upper half and lower half of my bunker gear. I have specialized footwear, specialized gloves, really cool hard hat, and before I grab that pole axe and voluntarily walk into that thermal event, I need one really important piece for long-term thermal exposure. I need to be able to breathe in that burning building. I need to have a breathing apparatus. So I don my SCBAs, and now I go into that burning building. How am I able to do that? Well, two primary reasons. One, it's on the business card. It says firefighter. It doesn't say fire runner away from. That's everybody else. Secondly, do I trust my PPE? Absolutely. Why? It's tested to long-term thermal exposures. It's going to allow me to exist in an environment that normally I couldn't. That's what it's designed to do. Once that fire is knocked down, once we turn in all our turnout gear to be decontaminated, I climb on that big red truck and we roll back to the station house. I no longer are wearing my PPE. Why? It's task-based. I am knowingly going into a thermal event. I dress accordingly. In our secondary protective world, the difference is we need to wear it all day, every day. Why? We don't design electrical equipment to blow up. We don't plan and knowingly having arc flash events. So I don't have time in a blink of an eye to go don my PPE. I have to have a baseline all day, every day. That means an arc-rated shirt, pant, or coverall all day, every day to give me a baseline if something goes completely wrong. So I need to be wearing something that has an arc rating if I work in that hazard all day, every day. Why? because it's the last line of defense. It is your safety belt 
when everything goes wrong. Obviously, we want to eliminate and substitute for the hazard. We want to engineer the hazard out as much as possible. If we do have to work live and we do have to go into the hazard, we're going to have a ton of administrative controls. We're going to walk through all our JSAs. We're going to do everything and have everybody sign off on, on that, hot, that hot work. And then we're going to go do it with our PPE on. But if we have an arc flash, guess where we are on that hierarchy of safety? If we do have an arc flash, ladies and gentlemen, your hierarchy of safety is gone. Your engineering control is gone. Your chance to eliminate and substitute for it, gone. You're definitely not going to be able to hold up NFPA 7E in front of that box and protect yourself. Your admin controls are gone. You're in an arc flash. So like your safety belt in that arc flash, it only works if you're wearing it correctly. Having it in your truck as a contractor, okay, it's in the back of my truck, and I'm just going to go voltage test. I'm just going to troubleshoot this chiller. I'm just going to go see what's wrong with this AC system. Then I'll come back and don my PPE. Not going to do you a lot of good if there's an arc flash and it's in your truck. Or if we're in the manufacturing facility, it's in your locker. Or worst case, we're in the utility, and we're just going to wear, you know, our cotton t-shirt on underneath and I'm going to leave that hot shirt over the back of my headrest and I'll I'll come get it later. And don't chuckle and don't think it doesn't happen because what we are I'm regurgitating there are actual events to where we see people hurt who have had that same mindset to their PPE. So again, like your safety belt, your last line of defense, better have it on when you need it. I used to have tons of articles and if you want articles that support the need for arc-rated clothing, it's easy to do. I'm assuming everybody who's online today has access to that Google box. Put in your keyword search, whether it's arc flash, electrical burns, electrician hurt, arc flash and electricity, whatever your keywords want to be. You'll spit, spit out three to four articles every month. One or two of them might be an electrician in an arc flash. Most of them will be shock-related. Uh, some of them might just be blow, stuff blew up and damaged a facility. But you'll probably pick up anywhere from six to eight a quarter times that by four. You've got a good, over the course of a year, two dozen events where an electrician has been hurt by this hazard. That being said, I still use this one article because in two simple paragraphs it explains why we do what we do on the protective apparel world. In the first uh, paragraph, we have an electrician working live on an HVAC system in a school in the suburb of Chicago. The next paragraph, the Cook County Medical Examiner. Now, normally in a live presentation, I go, hey, anybody ever want the medical examiner talking about you? The consensus answer is obviously no. Why? To gain entry to his office, you're a fatality. To have the coroner talking about you means you are no longer here. In coroner speak, there was a sparking in the wire. It's an arc flash, ignited this young electrician's clothing, and he succumbed to those burn injuries on the operating table. 34 years of age for lack 
of a $50 shirt and a $50 pair of pants, you have a dead electrician. In this particular case, for lack of a $50 shirt and a $50 pair of pants, you have a wife who no longer has a husband, two children to be raised without a father. And the sad tale or the sad editorial to this is it never needed to happen. With arc-rated clothing, he doesn't ignite. It self-extinguishes. It minimizes the injury. It takes fatality out of the picture. So where are we today in our regulations and standards? Well, on our utility side, up until 2014, uh, just to summarize this, you all were allowed to wear cotton. Why? Because you weren't allowed to wear anything that had any meltables in it. That's no polyesters, no nylons, no rayons, no acetates, etc. What's your default? Heavyweight cotton. Because it will take significant amounts of arc injury up until it ignites. The problem is the law said you can't add to the injury. Once you pass the ignition source in cotton, which is just a fancy name for fuel, once you pass the ignition point, you're on fire. You are definitely adding to the injury. So we knew arc flashes were dangerous. We knew arc flashes could uh, melt these fibers. We also knew it could ignite cotton. So finally, in 2014, we mandate, we make it the law in utilities that you have to wear flame-resistant arc-rated clothing equal to greater to the hazard. And it's a reasonable estimate to the incident energy as a utility worker that I could be up against, I have to protect to. And we'll talk about some of that nuance here shortly. On our general industry side, we have NFPA 70E. Since 2000, NFPA 70E has said wear flame-resistant clothing. In 2012, they're the ones that initiated the term arc rating to eliminate confusion, saying electricians will wear arc-rated clothing equal to or greater than the incident energy they're facing. Arc, working de-energized is the primary goal. Getting your risk assessment, your engineering study done is secondary to that. Why? The primary goal of 70E was to get you all out of cotton. Cotton has a very low ignition point compared to an arc. Arcs are what? You've all seen the numbers, 35,000 degrees in the arc gap. You're still getting four to 5,000 degrees, 18 inches out of that box. What's cotton ignite at? About 400. You've got 10 times the energy released in the form of heat to ignite cotton. Get out of cotton, it's not a safety upgrade. So that was one of the reasons the 7E was written from an arc flash standpoint. The next reason was, please tell me, as a professional electrician, how big a bomb I'm standing in front of. Because ultimately, you are required to get that assessment done, and that assessment will lead to labeling. Those labels will tell me, as an electrician, how big a bomb that piece of equipment really is, and I can dress accordingly. There's a big difference between a 38-calorie piece of equipment and a 5-calorie piece of equipment. I would like to know that. 
But when I stare at those big gray boxes on the wall, can I tell which one is 5 and which one is 38? No, you can't. That's where that engineering, that arc flash risk assessment comes into play because if I do that, which is required, I can then tell my professional electricians how to protect themselves. How big is that bomb that they are in front of if it faults? So that's another big reason. And we are, in all honesty, struggling with that portion of 7E. Now, there are some caveats. This is not specifically a 7E presentation, but 7E does have some tables in there, so you can make some uh, assessments on your own using the tables. They're very conservative, and in many cases, we tend to overprotect. But what else are you going to do based on, I don't know your system totally, but on these general requirements, I'm going to give you some very conservative numbers. And then we have Annex H in the back, which is a simplified two-step approach, which basically helps you go to eight calories or better all day, every day, and then stepping into a 40-cal flash suit. So you have two decisions to make across all this varied equipment. It's still not perfect, but it's, it's as we stand, better than nothing if that labeling doesn't tell you specifically what that is. So as we all know, OSHA is the shall. OSHA does not do a very good of a job of the how. So if OSHA says, in a nutshell, you shall protect your people against known hazards, and we all, if we have electrical equipment, we have hazards. So where do we turn to for the how? Where's our playbook? That's our standards. Whether it's NFPA 70E that we're talking about here, whether it's ASTM 1506, which carries over into our utilities, whether it's ANSI when we're dealing with high-vis and flame-resistant arc-rated combination, especially uh, on uh, federal highways and when we're out and about, uh, all those standards are going to lend themselves to helping us make the right decision. They're our playbook. So you have an arc flash hazard. Now what? The majority of the marketplace, right, wrong, or indifferent, has defaulted to eight calories or better or what 70E calls today CAT2 clothing. It used to be HRC2, it's now CAT2, and it's eight calories or better all day, every day. And then we layer up when it gets into big stuff. Now, layering up can be as simple as climbing into a flash suit. If I get into a 40 cal flash suit and I've got my hood and I've got my bibs and I've got my jacket and my rubbers and my leathers and my insulated tools and I'm in switching gear, that may be appropriate. Or for our utility folks, it may be that most of my T&D stuff is uh, under five calories, so I wear eight calories, so I'm good there. And then every now and then I have to do some substation work or get onto a pad mount transformer, and those estimates are 12, 14. I'm going to layer up and we'll talk about the details of that to protect myself there. The other way to do it is get further away. If you're a hands-on utility and you find you've got some big stuff, get on the end of a hot stick. Uh, same as if, if you're in a switching situation and you've got big gear. Get some chicken switches in there, some remote accessing, do some engineering that way to help minimize the exposure because obviously distance is your friend. These arc energies dramatically reduce as opposed to when you're being hands-on. 
So when arc flash happens, these are nasty events. And remember, all I'm protecting you against is igniting and continuing to burn. You get, when you superheat air to 35,000 degrees in the blink of an eye, you create acoustic energy, 165 decibels. You create uh, a ballistic force, a concussive force, 2,200 square foot pounds. Uh, you've got blinding white light, so if you don't have a face shield with some tinting and some safety glasses underneath there, or safety, I go, we're temporarily blind, 165 decibels, you're temporarily deaf. And you've got all these molten metal shrapnel flying around at 1,900 degrees at 750 miles an hour, and you're wearing a 7-ounce shirt and 12-ounce denim, and you're hoping for the best. And if you've got flame-resistant engineering in those shirts and pants, the only thing that we're guaranteeing is you're not going to be on fire. So in this particular situation, you saw the electrical equipment. Here's his PPE. You can see his rubber gloves for shock protection. You can see that little charcoal briquette on the right there was his leather protector. Uh, if you notice the date on the bottom, this is 2001, and we have our safety glasses. You'll, you won't see a hard hat and face shield in this particular case. Uh, and then you'll see all the energy primarily coming in from his right side, the wearer's right side. You see a little bit break open there between the sleeve and the chest. What our utility worker is wearing is 100% cotton t-shirt underneath, which is perfectly acceptable by the standards. Don't wear anything underneath that's a meltable, so that relieves you with either don't wear anything or natural fibers. Your natural fibers are cotton, wool, or silk. So wool primarily in the wintertime, cotton most of the time, and silk for the adventurous types. So here we have some charring beginning. What's our concern here? We have an outer layer that has sustained more energy than it can insulate to. It's starting to fail. It's starting to break open. It's starting to expose what's underneath. That's either going to be our naked selves or in this case, 100% cotton. Remember earlier, what's cotton a fancy name for? Fuel. You've got lightweight 100% cotton t-shirt underneath. The reason it's allowed and it's acceptable is it will not melt, drip under these conditions and add to the injury. But if I break open and I have enough energy left open, over, can I ignite that? Absolutely, I can't we could have a cotton ignition underneath our arc-rated shirt. That charring is evidence that it's pretty darn close. So when we're dealing with energies that potentially can be more than that lightweight outer layer shell can sustain, we can layer up for additional protection. Also, we can minimize the weight of that outer layer by having two lightweight layers that could potentially, if tested together, can have more protection than a single heavier layer. So we can integrate something that's going to allow us to be more compliant because we're going to minimize the what? The number one complaint about flame-resistant arc rating clothing is it's too heavy and too hot. Well, if we go to two lighter weight layers, maybe our teams will be more likely to be compliant. Uh, secondly, we take away any potential chance of that under layer becoming ignited. So here's a prime example. On your lower picture here, we have a perfectly good arc-rated shirt that was in far more energy than it could sustain. 
So if we have an additional layer of arc-rated clothing underneath there, we are now twice as ready because we've increased our protection, and if we do break open, we're not exposing either our skin, ourselves, or something it could potentially ignite. So that's one benefit. The second benefit is that we eliminate the underwear police. Now, uh, that, if, that title may not officially uh, exist uh, on your team, but think about this. As a safety professional, as, uh, and I look at my crew, and I see nothing but little white Vs. And by white Vs, I mean what that, that white T-shirt that you see exposed underneath their arc-rated shirt. And you're supremely confident because why? I've trained all my people on what they can wear underneath. They've all signed off on that they've had the training. They all know that they can't wear anything meltable. And I see nothing but white triangles. Those are absolutely every single time 100% cotton, correct? Or can you get 6535 white cotton t-shirts? Can you get 80-20? Can you get 50-50? I could spend a couple more seconds coming up with some more ratios, but yes, you can. So are you 100% sure that every one of those cotton base layers that you are seeing as those little Vs are 100% cotton? Or potentially, could you be introducing a meltable? And that's what the picture at the top is. Now, that's an extreme case. That is a young electrician whose outer layer arc-rated clothing worked perfectly. Guess what brand of undergarment this young electrician chose to wear to work that day? Why? Because FR is hot. It makes me sweat. So I'm going to wear something that's antimicrobial, moisture management, and will keep me cool. I know it does that because I wear it at the gym. That is three and a half ounces of polyester, and that's what it looks like 90 days later after I come out of the burn unit. Those scars will be carried forever because at what? At 4,000 degrees, I liquefy polyester, and at 2,200 square foot pounds of force, I drive it into your skin. And that's what you look like 90 days later after having all that plastic deburred out of you. So what we wear underneath is extremely important. So layering do's and don'ts, we've kind of covered the basics, no meltables. And then how do you guarantee that you don't have any meltables? Get into an additional arc rated base layer. It's going to benefit you. Our standards understand that. Your ASTM 1506 standard, which governs utilities and is the backbone of 70E, acknowledges that electrical workers many times will be asked to work on equipment that they're going to need additional protection. Get into a layering system to do that. NFPA 70E takes a whole annex and explains how layering is going to be beneficial for high incident energy areas. The key thing in both of those is to know what your system is. You have to get it tested as worn. That means your shirt weight, your underneath layers have to be set up. They go through the same testing that you get an ATPV or an ESUB-BT, a.k.a. an ARC rating. They go through the same testing, and they will tell you what those two fabrics as worn together, what their protection will be. So that brings up the question, what kind of base layers? Long sleeve or short sleeve? Well, if you categorically want to benefit from the additional layering, it has to be a system. That means no weak spots. That means I must be covered from the elbow down. So in this picture here, the right 
layering for most, first and foremost, all 70E applications is going to be long sleeve. For our utilities, that's going to be most of them. Why? Because you're unprotected from mid-bicep down to wrist. So you can't say you have a systems layered test. And we'll talk about that in a second, but just think about it. I'm unprotected here, so if I have eight calories on my outer layer, it, as a short sleeve, it doesn't matter that I have protection underneath because I'm still a single layer here. So I'm only eight cows. Now, I get all the benefits of having an additional arc-rated FR layer. It won't melt, won't drip. It will self-extinguish. If I have break open, I don't have any issues. So I get all those benefits. I just can't say that my increased protection is universal, so I only can work on stuff that my outermost layer is. As we look at the shirt and the undergarment, typically when those are tested together, we get pretty good numbers. In that picture on top, you have a six ATPV in the shirt, you have a five ATPV in the base layer, and you have a 24 ATPV when they're tested together. So, wow, that is way more than if you just added those together. And also, that is some pretty good protection in two lightweight layers. What you have to remember, though, is if that is, if I'm in a utility and I have 24 and my pants down below here are 18 or 12, I can only work on the lowest ATPV in my system. My system, if I was wearing that 24 over top of this ATPV 12, my system is 12. If I was wearing it over top of this uh, 18, I'd be 18. So get together with whoever your FR specialist is, whoever's providing your flame-resistant arc-rated clothing. Dive a little bit deeper into that layering. There are some caveats in there that you need to be aware of, but it is a way that you can take care of working on additional energies that are higher than that 8-cal shirt without having to get into a flash suit necessarily. We are required to train you on all of this. We are required to train you on PPE. 1910-132 states that we have to tell you how to properly don and doff this. Adjust it. Make sure it fits properly. That's our fancy way of saying putting it on and taking it off. Each infected employee shall demonstrate that they understand the training. We document the training and we then go out into the field after all those things are done. So again, look to your provider. Those training resources are there at no charge, typically. Uh, FR do's and don'ts, how to properly wear this stuff. So we've selected good stuff. We've trained you on how to put it on and off. What does that look like? So for my utility folks, for my 70E folks, this is how a arc-rated shirt and pant looks. This is how it's supposed to be deployed in the field. This ensures that it's going to work as advertised and do its job to give you, to maximize its protection of you. I say that because unfortunately, this is what I see a large percentage of the time when I'm out and about, and especially with my crews that are outside. We're untucked, 
we're rolled up because we're not doing any energized work at this particular time. But what happens is it's hot, we get fatigued, we climb into the bucket, we throw our fall harness on, and you know what? We forget to roll down, we forget to tuck back in, we forget to button all the way up. And if we're wearing a ignitable underneath, as in this case, a 100% cotton t-shirt, that's exposed. When we're untucked, that's exposed. When we are at ground level and that arc flash hits the ground, what does thermal energy do? The laws of thermodynamics tells you all that heat goes up. When that heat goes up and it reaches that unbloused shirt, where do you think it goes? It goes underneath. If I'm wearing a lightweight cotton t-shirt underneath, could that potentially be ignited? Absolutely. Other things to be cautious of. You've invested all this money in this great flame-resistant arc-rated clothing program. We've spent thousands of dollars on each employee over the years. In fact, if you look to the right, that picture is a very expensive arc-rated brown duck jacket for when we're working outside in the elements. Now, what's my concern? That hoodie that you see exposed at the top there is now the outermost layer. What do the regulations say about the outermost layer? It must be arc-rated equal to or greater than the hazard. Is that an arc-rated hoodie? Do we provide arc-rated hoodies? Do we require that if they're going to wear that ensemble that that's arc-rated? Or has someone donned a 100% cotton non-arc-rated because I'm wearing it underneath my arc-rated coat? I should be okay, right? Up until the point you put that outside, it's no longer okay. So just a word of caution. The other picture on the left there is what are we wearing on our heads? When it's going to get hot, do we wear bandanas? Do we allow bandanas? Do we wear some kind of uh, headgear to capture the sweat on hot days? Does that have flame-resistant properties? Will that not melt, drip, and add to the injury? Uh, that hat there, if, it's, if I turn it backwards, throw my hard hat on over top of it, and that's a big hunk of polyester or nylon or some other meltable, what do you think is going to happen to that in an arc flash event? What do you think that's going to do to my brain that is very, very sensitive to heat? If I melt all that plastic onto my head, that could have some very, very dire uh, outcomes. During the wintertime, what are we wearing? Uh, watch caps, are they flame-resistant properties? Skull caps, do they have flame-resistant properties? Just things that we need to think about that could compromise a very well-run flame-resistant arc-rated clothing program. So when we look at wearing the correct base layers, uh, the good confidence thing here is as a circle pops up on the screen, remember back to that meeting, back to the safety uh, uh, foreman looking at his crew and all those white little V's uh, that he saw, now all he has to do is look for that logo. And all the top quality manufacturers, Carhartt, NSA, Ariad, whomever, they're going to have that logo strategically located, and that's the purpose because I can quick scan and tell my guys are all wearing the right stuff. They've got an additional layer of protection, and we're good to go. So care and maintenance, this is the part to where we're extending that wear life. We are going to take care of this stuff properly. It's PPE. It's not just shirts, pants, and coveralls. It's a life-saving piece of equipment, and we're going to properly care and maintain it so that it will work if we ever need it. Uh, the good thing is, is that top quality FR today, 
top quality flame resistant arc rated clothing we've made it very very hard for you all to mess it up you can take it home and if you do some simple things that we tell you about on our tags yes one of those 25 tags that are hanging off those uh, garments driving you nuts are designed to inform you on how to properly care and maintain this stuff it is relatively easy so read the manufacturer's guidelines uh, laundry tips there is nothing in the standards that walk you through this this is just 10 good common sense best practice stuff in fact if you know if you listen to mom before you went off to college and or, or whomever was in there in charge of your laundry program when y'all were at home and they taught you things don't mix your bundles so clean your fr with your fr don't use chlorine on colored goods aka don't use chlorine bleach on your navy pants and your khaki shirts you'll be fine the sneaky one is no peroxides where do you see that that's oxyclean don't use oxyclean don't use chlorine don't use chlorine uh, color safe stuff if it has chlorine or oxy in it don't do it no liquid or dryer sheets from a fabric standpoint don't add any starches to it anything that can clog up uh, the pores of these garments and these fabrics don't do it it's that simple and then you just take care of it forever just wash it in uh, normal temperature water if you have to take it to a dry cleaner you can to get some extensive stains out uh, but yeah relatively easy really hard to mess up and most of this stuff if you accidentally do it once or twice you're going to be fine this is a cumulative event uh, when you're piling fabric softener over the course of 20 30 40 laundries yes if you have an arc flash you're going to not get the performance that you wanted out of that garment because you have messed up its ability to do so but most of that if you do it once or twice don't worry about it just rewash it you're good to go staining staining is important to understand in and of itself clean stained garments are perfectly fine you have not impeded the uh, the uh, protective uh, component of that flame resistant arc rated clothing just because those fibers have gotten stains uh, imparted in them where you need to be concerned is if it comes back clean and it has a big stain and it smells like fuel and yes I said smells like fuel you give it the sniff test and it smells like fuel guess what it is it's fuel and it will be consumed in an arc flash event very very quickly so wash it until that fuel smell is gone if you can't get rid of that fuel smell get rid of the garment the other thing to think about is in these two pictures the picture on top if that's during my work day if I'm a utility guy or if I'm a 70e guy in my manufacturing facility and I've spilled secondary accelerant on me to that extent get me out of the arc flash boundary get I am not in I'm not in mad anywhere near there I'm not in the minimal approach distance at all I am down on the ground with a sign that says stop slow and that's what I'm doing the rest of the day get me out of harm's way on the one underneath now you're making a judgment call how much secondary accelerant is too much for me to stop continue work change out of all those things uh, but that's probably more acceptable definitely than the one on the above repairing and replacing get out of stuff that's thread barren this picture with this red shirt that is the under fiber that is the plated layer that is showing 
That cannot be repaired. Replace that garment. In the middle there, we have an irregular tear, regardless of size, cannot be repaired. Lower left, that's on the seam, but it's greater than three inches. Again, on the seam, could you make a judgment call? Yes, go to the Google box, key in Aramid or Nomex thread, order yourself up some Aramid or Nomex thread, and then you can stitch that on that seam judgment call. I would say it's over three inches, don't do it. The one on the far right, that's potentially three inches. It's potentially on the seam. Could I use some Aramid Nomex thread and repair that? Yes, you technically could. Inspect your garments daily. Bottom line is, as you inspect your rubber gloves, you inspect your leather protectors, inspect your FR, AR clothing, lay them out on the bed, check for seam integrity, check rough worn areas, particularly in the knees, in the crotch, on the elbows, under the arms. Make sure the integrity of that PPE, that life-saving piece of equipment, is intact. In fact, take the same mindset that you do of your fall harness. If your fall harness is frayed, you're not putting it on. You're not repairing cuts and tears in your fall harness. You're getting new ones. Take that same mentality because why? They're both life-saving pieces of equipment. You don't want to be 60 feet up in the air relying on poorly repaired or poorly maintained fall harness. You don't want to be in an arc flash or a flash fire with the poorly maintained and repaired FRAR clothing. So simply, make sure it's appropriate to the hazard, always your outermost layer, monitor your undergarments, non-melting natural fibers at best, uh, secondary layer of, of, of FRAR would be even better. Monitor contaminants. Make sure, especially with accelerants, that you're conscious of it. If you're cleaning them, make sure there is no residual smell of fuel. Fuel is fuel. Wash it until that's gone. Then repair correctly and remove from service uh, as needed. Just lastly, as we're getting ready to wrap up here, uh, two real uh, images here to help you all understand. The one on the right, you can see his, arc, his FR arc rated shirt worked perfectly. It was rolled up to mid-bicep. Beyond that, there's no injury. He removed his rubber gloves and his leathers, and he proceeded to go into the MCC with his screwdriver, and the corresponding arc flash ended his career. That is third degree and uh, some second degree, mostly third degree on the arm. Uh, and it's definitely third degree and some fourth degree, which is muscle and bone on the hand. That will not turn a screwdriver again. That is a career-ending injury. That was failure to verify. He had all the PPE, and he made one mistake, and in a blink of an eye, his career was over. The second one the image you see there is a sticker that adorns every hard hat in a Southern California utility. Why? To remind all their brothers and sisters to always wear their PPE pr properly buttoned, tucked, and rolled. Why? They had an incident when they worked de-energized, they were allowed to be untucked, sleeves rolled up, shirt unbuttoned, 100% cotton t-shirt underneath. The corresponding arc flash ignited that cotton t-shirt, and that journeyman uh, electrician died on the operating table of liver and kidney failure due to those injuries that resulted from that PPE not being deployed properly. Why? It's always energized until what you verify that it's not. Just a real quick bonus section here. Uh, 
we do see huge concerns when it comes to vests and rain gear, especially in the arc flash hazard. We have tons of vests and tons of rain gear that claim to have flame-resistant properties that have never been tested to an arc flash. Why? How do we know what those are? In the label, and I ask everybody listening today to make one note and do one thing for me. If you have vests and rain gear in your facility for your electricians, please check the label. If that label says those flame-resistant properties uh, were identified through one standard, and that standard can be ASTM 2302, ASTM 6413, or NFPA 701, if that's the only standard, okay, and there's no ATPV, in that vest or on that rain gear, you've got the wrong rain gear and vests. Your vests should say ASTM 1506, and they should have an ATPV or an EBT, which will give you 8.6, 7.2, 5.4, whatever calories per centimeter squared that that ATPV is determined at. You now have a vest that has been tested to that arc flash hazard. Same with your rain gear. Now, the standard is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be ASTM 1891, but that rain gear has been tested to the hazard. It will hold up in the hazard. It will self-extinguish, and it will not add to your injury. We see this stuff fail, and it fails very badly. And you can have an excellent arc-rated uh, clothing program and totally jeopardize it by having bad rain gear, bad vests. Real simple, if your rain gear cost 100 bucks, you got the wrong rain gear. Your rain gear was four to 500 bucks, good chance you've got the right rain gear. Your vests cost 25 bucks, wrong vests. Your vest should be closer to 75 bucks to have the right vest. Just a real quick rule of thumb there. Why? We see tons of misleading labels out there. This label is on a high-vis, 100% ANSI-rated polyester vests that claims it has self-extinguishing properties, which are meaningless for utilities and 70E applications and arc flash protection. Self-extinguishing means it's only been tested to 6413, and it will not tell you how it's going to perform in an arc flash. It is not a performance test. That's number one. Number two, by ANSI, it has to tell you that it's non-FR. So if you read this label, it says ANSI 107.15, this is non-FR. It does not meet a performance standard for arc flash or flash fire. Then you go down to the little icon. It says, how can you say FR? The label says ASTM 6014 FR. You're saying that it's FR, but you're telling me that it's not for arc flash, then you're telling me that if you read that, self-extinguishing properties diminish with washing. How many washings? What's a rainstorm? I mean, if this is on my rain gear and I go through three or four rainstorms, does that equivalent to a couple of launderings and I don't have any flame-resistant properties left in this stuff? Bottom line is there's a lot of misleading labeling out there. It's... It is really bad, and it's bad for our industry, and please be very, very cautious. The standards out there give you at least a minimum performance expectation if it's the right standard to the hazard. So be very cautious that way. So in summary, and we're going to have some time here for some questions, 
always, when you're evaluating flame-resistant arc-rated clothing, ask for the manufacturer's guarantee in writing on letterhead and signed. Really easy to do with any quality uh, provider. Ask for the test data for the hazard. Fabric suppliers can readily supply that to your manufacturers. That should be easy. And again, these are all things that if there's a struggle getting you this information, it should be red flags. Ask to see the garment certifications and make sure that every garment that you are bringing into your program meets the certification for your hazard. And then just verify it. Believe me, we've seen test certificates that when you go to the organization, they show an ATPV of 7.8, and magically the certificate they're showing you is 9.5. Be cautious. Do a little bit of due diligence. Make sure you're getting what you're paying for. And then specify that only those compliant garments for your hazard are allowed on your site and in your company periodically police that. We do see things get out of whack. Some programs have a really uh, liberal, easy way of adding stuff to their program. Guys go out to the latest and greatest trade shows. They see the really cool stuff, and they go, hey, can we have this? And they, sure, but make sure anything new coming into your program meets those strong, stringent uh, specifications that you had originally, and don't let it get out of compliance. And then lastly, work with proven supply chain partners. And I say this because of this. When everything is going well, it does not matter. You just have really expensive soil protection. You just have really expensive uh, employee benefit. You just have a really expensive company identification program because guess what? They're not being utilized for what they're built for where all that expense is being incurred and hopefully they never are. What I tell people is we build flame resistant arc rated garments hoping you never have to use them for what I built them for. But if you ever do, all those bells and whistles have to already be built in. Then if you ever do have an uh, incident, what resources does your supply chain bring to bear? Can they come and can they tell you thermography and through ultra microscopes how hot it got? Were there any secondary accelerants involved? And did that FR work as it was designed to do? Is there anything in that fabric that impeded the, the performance? Do they have 10 years of data on every roll of fabric that goes through their facility, meaning that I can tell you, I can track down, I have a chain of custody when that garment was built, what factory it was built in, what date it was built on, what role it came from, and can I go back and pull that historical data of those test results and see if there's any dramatic variance? What kind of technical people, what kind of PhDs can I bring to bear when that case ultimately ends up where we know it's going to end up? If you have to make a, a phone call and that phone call has 12 digit number has 12 digits on it because you're going somewhere overseas, the chance of you getting any help here locally is very, very minimal. So work with proven supply chain partners, work with folks that have a legacy in this business, work with folks that all they do all day, every day is flame resistant arc rated clothing. Because again, it's all insurance. That's what we're, we're, we're buying into here. 
So with that, I know I have a few minutes left. I'm going to hand it back to Barry if there are any questions. And as Barry said, if we get through this today and I can't get to all your questions, they'll send them to me. I promise I'll get you the answer. If I don't have the answer, I'll get you someone who does. So with that, again, I thank you for your time. Great job, Derek. Thank you so much for your insights and your expertise today. Uh, before we start the Q&A, I want to remind everyone of the evaluation survey that we're asking you to complete. The survey, survey should be appearing on your screen now. Your input is very important to us. It will help us improve future webcasts. And if you did not see the evaluation survey on your screen, please turn, up your pop, turn off your pop-up blocker. Uh, you may also access the survey by clicking the Survey button near the lower right portion of your screen. Now let's go ahead and get to a couple questions here. Uh, Derek, first we have Eugene as a question. He's asking, could you just please quickly review uh, the difference between FR and AR? Sure. So FR, flame resistant, and AR, arc rated. So all arc rated garments start off life as flame-resistant garments. That means that the fabric that they're constructed from has met a baseline of tests to be considered flame-resistant. Once we've got that fabric at that baseline and we want to have an arc-rated fabric, we then go and apply additional testing, meaning that we actually put it in the hazard that it was designed to withstand and we, we test to see how much energy it can take, how much energy will insulate up to. We apply the stole curve to it, and you get an ATPV or an E sub BT, and that's your arc rating. So at the end of the day, you know you have at least a minimum performance that's universally recognized as an arc rating for arc flash protection. Excellent. Thanks for that, Derek. I have another question here. Um, let's go to Bob's question here. Bob is wondering about your thoughts. Um, do you recommend a rental service for FR clothing versus a clothing allowance? Great questions. And I'm going to give you the easy answer, and the easy answer is whichever one best works for you. Uh, there's a couple of caveats in there. Uh, obviously, industrial launders are great services. Uh, they can provide a single point of pickup, single point of delivery, single point of cleaning. In fact, many of our industrial launder partners we've audited, and they're certified to be able to take care of flame-resistant arc-rated clothing. Their chemical companies go through uh, audits from us, and they're certified basically to take care of our garments, so you have a high level of confidence. That being said, there's a lot of companies who do a lot of work outside of those service areas. That's why when we talk about care and maintenance, we've spent a lot in the durability of these garments. We've spent a lot of time and effort developing garments that are very, very hard for you all to mess it up. Follow some really simple rules at home, and you can take care of this stuff. We do have to train you on it. We do have to walk you through what those are. We do have to document that you understand it. And all those things in line, you can absolutely take care of it. The one thing I do want to make clear on is whether it's a industrial laundry or whether you have an allowance program and the guys take stuff home, the employer is responsible for PPE. At the end of the day, if your guy walks by you in the hall and he has a big tear, whether that occurred at an IL or whether that occurred at home, you need to stop him, 
get him out of that PPE because it's in disrepair and tell him to go put another one on before he's allowed to work. Just like if you saw a guy with a cracked hard hat or missing a lens in his safety glasses, you would stop him. Same mindset with your uh, flame-resistant arc-rated clothing. Great. Thank you very much, Derek. Unfortunately, we've run out of time today. I'm sorry we didn't get to everyone's questions, but as Derek mentioned, all of today's unanswered questions will be forwarded on to Derek. Uh, once again, I hope you all take the time to fill out the evaluation survey on your screen to give us your feedback. That ends today's Safety and Health magazine webcast. I'd like to thank Derek Sang, everyone at Bulwark, and all of you who listened in today. Thanks, everyone, and have a safe day.